What's going on, everybody? Happy October 10th, Tuesday, October 10th on ScreenSpeak, the podcast that's all about movies, life, and so much more. As usual, it's me, Jordan Anderson, your host and creator of this whole thing, with you once again for a new episode that I'm very fortunate and grateful to have each and every one of you be listening on right now. Now, before I get into everything, go ahead and hit that follow button on whatever podcast platform that you're listening to this on, including the podcast social media over on Instagram. This helps you stay in the know for all things screen speak, gets you connected with the other cinephiles out there in the world, as well as the filmmakers that listen to this thing. And overall, it just keeps the show growing, gaining momentum and continuing its process of evolution. So definitely, definitely do that. Also, wanted to make sure I threw in a plug for the upcoming second annual Refocus Film Festival that's taking place this Thursday, October 12th through the 15th in Iowa City, Iowa. Yours truly is going to be in attendance there, providing some media correspondence for the festival, including recording conversations with the various filmmakers and attendees alike, all the while catching the screenings at the festival itself, taking part in those Q&A sessions that they got, the festivities of the festival, including all their after parties and all that good stuff. All of that's going to be coming, and ScreenSpeak is going to be a part of that, so definitely, definitely be on the lookout for that. Or, in other words, if you happen to be in the area, consider attending. Should be a great festival full of terrific films and festivities that you can really only experience by actually being there. So I really think you should consider coming out to the festival if you happen to be in the Iowa City area. I can tell you just as an Iowa native, Iowa City, it's a great city. It's a great city in and of itself. There's plenty to do there at the festival, and you're going to be in good company with all the fellow film enthusiasts, filmmakers, and artists alike. If you can't make it, no worries. You'll just have to come back to this podcast and listen to what I've gathered from the festival. Okay, plugs are done on with the show. So this episode marks the fourth in my exclusive series of conversations that were captured at the Iowa Independent Film Festival, the 16th annual Iowa Independent Film Festival. I feel like it's taken a long time to get all the content that I got from there out there, and I'm not going to get into a bunch of excuses for why it's taken so long other than to say that I have a life. Surprise, surprise, but I do. It keeps me busy. It keeps me really, really busy, and I refuse to put out something that's half-assed that's got my name attached to it, and plus, I always want to make sure that when it's episodes, in this case, that are featuring guests, that they are presented in the best possible light, so in other words, I don't rush to get them out. I want to make sure that they're properly produced, and when you're listening to it, it's in the best possible way. So, try to put the best possible light onto the episode, I guess I should say. Or I could say in this episode, maybe some dark light because of this filmmaker's preferred genre that she likes to work in the most, the horror genre. Ooh, horror. In fact, that was the, <laughs> that was the dumbest thing. The ooh. And I, I'm pretty sure if anyone that actually takes horror seriously talks about the genre in film, they do not add the little ghost noise to it. But but whatever, I digress. So I got filmmaker Carson T. Morrissey on this one, digging deep with me on all things horror and more in this episode. So if you're familiar with Carson, let me tell you everything that you need to know about her. So Carson is from Cedar Falls, Iowa, and is primarily, I would say, known for making horror films that, in my opinion, are pretty raw um gritty you could almost argue and and pretty un uncompromising in its tone so in other words i would say her films have a unique ability to be able to make you or me watching it go from being very comfortable 
to straight up uncomfortable and and deeply disturbed uh, in some cases. But honestly, at the end of all of it, you're actually glad that you went through it. And and that's not something that I can easily say for a lot of filmmakers because sometimes you'll watch something that just so takes you out of your comfort zone and you're just like, oh my God, like why, why did I go through that? That's not really the case with this. Uh, Carson's films take you on a on a journey a lot of the time. And it definitely gives me visceral reactions that I don't typically get out of other filmmakers' content that's like hers. So I'm just telling you my experience from the few films that I've actually seen from her. So that's what I'm saying right now. Let's see, what else can I tell you about Carson? So her films are often known for having pretty diverse cast and characters in the films, uh, all specifically within the LGBT community, or LGBTQ community, excuse me. Um, within the context of the horror genre, which is actually pretty interesting. And outside of those just general bullet points that I stated off about her, I can tell you that she's, you know, extremely nice, extremely nice person, very passionate and knowledgeable about the genres of horror, um, and specifically the subgenres of horror. I, I know at one point she touches on cosmic horror. Um, there, there's some other different ones in there that I'm definitely not familiar with, so I could certainly pick her brain about that more in the future. Um, but this person definitely knows their stuff when it comes to horror. My own personal experience with horror films, um, I, I admit if I have a genre that I gravitate least towards, it's probably horror. It could just be because I'm a scaredy cat sometimes when I watch stuff, you know, I, I jump easy. They Filmmakers can get me very easily with a jump scare. So I'm definitely one of those people that if you put one in there, it might not even be the most creative thing in the world, but it probably will scare me. Um... And I don't know, I just, I don't go back and revisit a ton of horror movies outside of, like, some of the, the real classic ones. Um, the Shining is one that comes to mind, which, speaking of The Shining and speaking of Refocus that I had plugged earlier, they're doing a screening of The Shining at that festival that this podcaster is very fortunate to be able to get in on. So, that's going to be cool. But outside of that, I mean, I think of horror movies, I think of, like, The Ring. That thing fucked me up, frankly, <laughs> when I was a kid. Uh, it was terrible. I was afraid of televisions, those analog TVs with the big backs in them. You know, Samara's going to come out and just make my head do the whole face. I, I don't think they, they have that noise <laughs> like when, when the person's dead from Samara, but I, I bet they make a noise like that when, when they're, when they're about to, you know, get killed by her. But anyways, um, yeah, I, I don't. I just don't really watch a ton of horror movies, so it was interesting talking with Carson about horror. Certainly, actually, makes me want to go back and, and maybe revisit some others that I have not really watched in the past. There's a lot of really interesting films that are being made in the horror genre that are out there, both big and also independently. And I don't know. After talking with Carson, it actually makes me think that I should probably. From time to time, not all the time, just go ahead and throw in a horror movie into the queue so that way I'm keeping a diverse palette, if you will, of movies that I'm watching instead of just sticking with the safe choices. Because sometimes isn't that like part of, I don't want to say the magic of movies, but part of the experience of films is that they can give you a unique experience that I wouldn't always say is entertaining in the case of uh, certain types of horror movies that can get a reaction out of you, but it does get a reaction out of you. And I don't know, it just makes me think that I really should maybe spend some more time exploring that whenever I can find the time. As far as the conversation goes with Carson, we stick mostly within the realms of horror and talk about the different subgenres of horror. We get into a little bit of the stigmas that are against the genre right now. 
Um, talk about Carson's process that she goes through when it comes to shooting any emotionally difficult scenes or physically difficult scenes or both. Um, we also touch on intimacy coordination in movies, which that subject alone I could probably do a whole podcast on because I think it's actually really interesting. Uh, and then we also talk about representation in horror movies specifically, which is something that I don't really feel like gets brought about in a lot of conversation when you talk about accurate representation in films. So definitely interesting stuff right there. After listening to this episode, I would encourage each and every one of you to go ahead and look up Carson, look her up on her social, look up her film, uh, her film company, give all that stuff a follow, support it. Check out her stuff because, you know, you might find some really interesting stuff in there or stuff that at the very least is going to give you a reaction. And you're going to be like, man, um, I don't even know what to think of that. That's the type of movies that this person makes. So last thing I'll say on this before we get into this is that even though, as again, I've stated horror films are not typically my bag. I will say I found it fascinating to pick her brain on the genre and the subject. And that I really think after listening to the playback of this conversation, Help me discover that there's more to the horror genre than maybe I even knew about it before. So there you go. Do with that what you will. All right. That's all I got for the introduction here, everybody. So thanks very much for listening. Hope you're enjoying the October season thus far. Get in some scary movies and enjoy this conversation with Carson T. Morrissey right now. Carson, what is your last name? Uh, my, my last name is Morrissey, so I'm, I'm one of those pretentious Morrissey. artists that uses my, uh, my middle initials, so I go by Carson T. Morrissey. I mean, I put Jordan V in my name because otherwise Anderson's very basic and so it doesn't really help it stand yeah. out, so that's cool. Okay, well, I'm glad to be in good company then. <laughs> yes. Now, last time I saw you, you had uh, you had blonde hair, and, yes. and now it is blue. I mean, now I say blue. that because they can't, they can't see you right now. I don't have a camera rolling, but... <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, the, the blue hair was a thing, actually, so I, I dyed it blue... Oh, God, two years ago now? Time isn't real. Uh, quite a while ago, <laughs> and then I, I dyed it blonde and white uh, for a show. I was actually in Dracula in the Cedar Falls Community Theater, uh, and oh, awesome. I played Renfield, and Renfield couldn't have blue hair. Um, so I kept the the white for a while, but I just missed the blue too much. So Did you end up seeing that Renfield movie? I the, did. I have not seen it. What did you think about that? It's fine. Yeah. I'm not a huge horror comedy person, um, which judging from my work probably shows i'm not a huge like levity in horror person not that i have like a problem with it it's just not my taste um but i i liked it i thought you know both actors uh god is it nicholas holt uh nicholas yeah. holt yeah, and, nicholas and, and nicholas cage, cage. yeah uh, they, were, they were both good i actually thought nicholas cage i was like i almost want to see him in like a serious dracula because like he he was like hammy but in like a fun way right uh very like hammer horror dracula in a way okay. that I liked. <laughs> um so yeah i thought it was fine um again not like necessarily my cup of tea but i, I get why people liked it yeah no that, that makes sense yeah now, I first met you at the Cedar Rapids Independent Film Festival, and you were screening a, a different movie there, because the we're at the Iowa Independent Film Festival, and you're showing a mm -hmm. movie called Rot, I Yeah, believe. so I just showed Rot, and then in Cedar Rapids, I showed The Tower. The Tower. Yeah. Can we talk about that a little bit? I yeah, mean, I, yeah. I'm not sure if it's still relevant to what you're, what you're doing right now. No, totally, because but... I, I also had Snake Alley back in July, and I showed both there. So that's oh, the, they, okay. they've both been seen kind of in, in concert with each other enough. What, what was the reception like at Snake Alley? Um, It was good. I mean, like, it's it's... This sounds pretentious, but like I, I, I always think like people don't quite always know how to react uh, because my movies, again, like they're they just don't have a lot of levity. They're not necessarily designed to be fun to watch. They're they're horror films, but they're they tend to have kind of a dark kind of dramatic feel to them, too. Mm -hmm. um, so people really mm -hmm. liked it. Um, I think that 
uh, the tower especially people tend to like because it's very bombastic and it's it's a much it's a cosmic horror film mm-hmm. so it has a lot more kind of flash and the like scary imagery whereas rot is almost as much of a drama as it is a horror film um but yeah they were both well received at snake alley um actually well received enough that i got a, a screening offer uh really for them, so yeah uh, what, um, what does that what does that entail? No, it's okay. I can actually, I can. This is a great opportunity. I can talk about it because it just got announced. I literally checked Facebook like 15 minutes ago. Oh wow! Um, so I was approached by. Oh my god, I feel so bad. I can't remember his name off the top of my head because I'm so bad with names. Um, but the guy who uh, one of the representatives from <clears throat> the Grindhouse series they do at Iowa City Film Scene, mm-hmm. uh, and they're going to do a showing of Rot on uh, October 4th. Hey, that's, uh, that's with, awesome. Yeah, it's going to accompany the feature they're showing that day, which I believe um, it's, it's a vampire film mm-hmm. with David Bowie, and I can't remember what it's called right now. Hmm. Um, it's really good. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so Rot is going to be showing at Iowa City Film Scene for their Grindhouse series, which is really, really cool because I love film scene. I really like what they do there. I um, am uh, I'm, I'm certainly getting more uh, acclimated and familiar with film scene myself. The mm-hmm. first time I went there was, um, well... I'm trying to think. The first time I went there was uh, a couple couple years ago, and I can't remember exactly what I saw. But then recently, I saw they did a premiere of the movie '65 mm-hmm. uh, with Adam Driver, and they yeah. had Scott Beck and Brian Woods afterwards doing like a Q and A, and it was it was really cool. The, their location at the Chauncey is is really terrific. Yeah, um, fantastic. And then actually, I, I've talked about it I think before in the podcast, but I'll actually be doing a uh, similar thing to what I'm doing now, but at the Refocus Film Festival. Oh, awesome. so, so I'll be attending. Is that. that the one that Warner Herzog's going to be at? Yes. Oh my god, that's so cool. <laughs> I'm very, very excited for it, and Ugh. I think they are doing a lot of really interesting, and I would almost say like experimental things with how they're even doing a festival. I haven't yeah. been to it yet, but I got to sit down and talk with Andrew, the, the one of the co-founders of the mm-hmm. place, and he was kind of telling me about it and all the different unique events they have, their combination of combining it with the, the book festival that's going on then, so they have a lot of authors in town. Yeah. Um, what's the Grindhouse series, though? Because I'm not so, super familiar with that. It's Wednesday nights, uh, and they show typically like cult horror or like Grindhouse movies or other like kind of pulpy, fun uh, yeah. horror. And then, um, and yeah, they do that on, on Wednesday evenings, and... I'm so influenced by and into like late night horror, like especially like like exploitation horror and like mm-hmm. French extreme horror films <clears throat> like Martyrs and things like that. Like I I like the really crazy stuff. So specifically to be featured as part of a series that is designed to show those types of films is really special to me. Um, and I have some other plans with them in the future that I can't reveal yet. No, nope, that's um, fine. Yeah, yeah. Save a little mystery. So, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's exciting. So it, it's cool to be. It's it's a really cool radar to be on it's it's an honor for me to be recognized in the, in that kind of setting among the kind of movies that inspire me so speaking of inspiration and just you talking about those different horror genres that you mentioned mm-hmm. i mean i i feel like it would be nice actually to sort of illuminate the different subgenres that are within horror because yeah. i think sometimes horror like when you say like that can mean a lot of different things and it seems like you know a lot about the universe in there so yeah. what are some of these different genres that maybe the average person doesn't know about so i'm really into you know, when we say indie horror now, we tend to think of like, like A24 is like the, the first thing people yeah. say, hereditary, um, or, um, like it comes at night or just recently talk to me, which are like three of my favorite movies. I love A24 right. films. <clears throat> um, but like people forget that like, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre was indie horror. 
Mm -hmm. Um, or like, you know, a lot of like the, the movies that are more on kind of the splatter, uh, kind of, uh, exploitation grindhouse side of things were also independent horror. Mm -hmm. Um, and horror has a storied history with independent film. Um, and in fact, a lot of huge directors like Peter Jackson got his start making splatter horror films in Australia, um, or in New Zealand, um, was it the Frighteners? Uh, or, I mean, I don't know if that's like an early one. But no, no, no. I, I before know about that, that, he made a movie called Dead Alive. It's okay. like his, I think it's his first feature. It's bananas. It's absolutely insane. Right. Like it's it's this crazy, like kind of Evil Dead style okay. horror. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, I'm personally, <clears throat> if there's a genre that influences me the most, I would say it's it's the French New Extreme Horror Movement, which is films like High Tension, uh, Martyrs. Um, more recently, uh, Julia DeCarno is a director I really, really love and look up to. She made a movie called Raw. Mm-hmm. Um, no, re- like, no relation to the movie Rot, which is something I made just a coincidence. Um, and then, um, like, I didn't name it after that, but I've had a couple people associate it with it, which is cool. Well, how did you um, first get exposed to that genre? Oh, God. I don't really remember. I think yeah. um, I, I was really into the idea of making horror that took itself really seriously without being cheesy. I think that was kind of something that early on I wanted to do because a lot of the really popular horror in in America and kind of in like the popular zeitgeist is fun. Mm-hmm. And I like fun horror movies, but that's never the one I wanted to make. Um, and I saw movies <clears throat> like The Mist yep. growing up, um, uh, movies that had those really, really bleak endings. And I just was into that because I liked the idea of like horror that, really is horrific that really takes itself seriously but without necessarily being like shock for the sake of shock or anything like that Mm -hmm. um and so i I think just kind of that rabbit hole led me to more like like the european horror scene um and then i also really like combining that with some subgenres of drama such as the mumblecore subgenre what's that um so mumblecore is a filmmaking movement that came out of new york in the early 2000s um, essentially it's the moment that filmmaking equipment became affordable. Okay. Um, all of a sudden there were all of these kind of middle to lower middle class people who could never dream of owning like a, a movie camera could afford one. Um, and so people like Noah Bumbach and especially Greta Gerwig came mm-hmm. out of the, uh, the mumblecore scene. Uh, and mumblecore was defined. The reason it's, it's mumblecore actually started as a derogatory term, like mumbling. Um, I see. and it was basically people would get together in somebody's apartment uh, and they would come up with a rough outline for a dramatic story, typically a relationship drama. Um, and then they would just act it out with no script. Um, so they wow. were these extremely rough around the <clears> edges, <throat> usually very um, like intense and explicit drama films made by people that were completely inexperienced with filmmaking. And it creates this really surreal, very real feeling uh, movie. And like some of them are very bad. Some of them are very good. Um, but I really liked the idea of taking sort of that approach to horror um, it's sort of why, like, I really prefer a handheld camera over a camera on a tripod or a gimbal because I like that kind of, like, you're in the scene yeah. feeling. Um, I like to let the actors move very freely in the scene. I don't do a lot of movement direction when I when I shoot. I like to like let people move where they want to move, obviously within reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that sort of comes from that school of just like allowing the actors to bring the scene to life organically with as little influence on the way it plays out physically as possible. What are the horror moments that sort of stand out to you from just, you know, maybe not like influential ones, but the ones mm-hmm. where you're like, I remember that. Like, yeah. like where like it really left a mark on you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, to, to shout out 
another the, a movie that really influences me. The Mist was a big one for me. Seeing The Mist, I, I saw it when I was like, how now, old now, that was. Just to be clear, because I feel like there's there's more than one version of this, right? I want to uh, say. The, I mean, the, I know the, the Thomas the, Jane one. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking That's the one you're the, talking about? Yeah. I, sw- um, I could have sworn there's another version of that, but maybe I'm There's a TV series that came out a little bit later, yeah. Okay, okay, maybe that's what um, I'm But thinking. I saw that at a really young age when it first came out and it just, it was unlike anything I had seen horror wise up to that point. And it has one of the, like an almost comedically bleak ending. Um, it's not funny. It's, it's horrific, but like, yeah. it's, it's so <clears throat> over the top dark. And I just remembered seeing that and being like, okay, so like you don't necessarily have to have a happy ending with your movie. Yeah. Um, and, um, this isn't to say like every movie I like is depressing, by the way. I love comedies. I love, <laughs> I love like movies that are fun, but like for me personally, as an yeah. artist, I like to, to kind of go into the, the darkness. You know, I um, feel like it's, it's, I think, I think it's important that you mention that, you know, you still like comedies and you oh, still yeah. like other things. Cause I, I think sometimes there's like a stigma when somebody is attached as or, or labeled as being a horror director or something yeah, like no, that. No, no. They must think like they just go home and like read nothing but twisted stuff and go, right. go you know, do all this stuff. That, it's like, no, that does, that, that's, that's one slice of yourself. That's not all of you. <laughs> a big thing I really do try to avoid is being edgy. Like I'm not like I'm not sitting here trying to be like oh I I'm such a dark brooding person and I make these horrific <laughs> films like no it's just like I, I am interested in taking my characters to extreme places sure and I often find that if I'm writing from a genuine perspective of like what would happen if this was happening in real life mm. these are not usually situations that would work out well for these characters right so I think it came more from just trying to ground my films in a reality and in the world that they take place in mm-hmm. not so much from a perspective of like you know how much screwed up stuff can I put on screen? Let, let um, me, but, let me ask you this as far as horror goes and, and I'll, I'll try my best to piece my way through this. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of horror movies. I noticed where, you know, there's just characters that are pretty much in the movie just to get killed. Yeah. Like, like they're just there for that. And like, it's fine, especially like if it's like a slasher, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you have the unlikable person where it's just like, Oh, you can't wait for them to eat it. And the, the whole entire thing. <laughs> 2010s of just like, let's put a bunch of hateable characters in a movie and kill them in gruesome ways. Like, yeah. But what I'm curious about is, is for yourself and kind of how you look at horror and the characters that you that you like the most mm-hmm. is it better to have a character that you know has a little bit of death and you are invested into them before they die to really like, really have it hit home or is it just like the way they die that's going to leave a much more indelible impression on you Good do, do you kind of get what i'm saying with yeah that? no totally um i i won't say better because i i do like both and i do think it depends on what you're writing um mm-hmm. like i think there's you know if you want to make a slasher with a bunch of cannon fodder characters and just come up with cool yeah. special effects, that is absolutely my bag. I'm into that too. For me, I prefer to write characters that the audience will care about. And again, that comes more from wanting there to be an element of drama. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, to me with what I'm trying to do, there's, I, I've achieved my goal more if people care when terrible things happen to my characters. Um, that's not to say I haven't written things before with like just cannon fodder characters that like it, it is fun to just write crazy <laughs> slashers and stuff like that. Sure. But, like, the, the the art that challenges me and draws me in the most is when you can make characters that people care about mm. and then the horror stuff happens. Yeah. And then you've really got the audience hooked because it's like, okay, now I, I don't want bad things to happen to these people. And a lot of times, especially with people that aren't, you know, as averse in the horror world as, or not averse, I should say, um, the people who aren't necessarily as deep in the horror pool as I am. Mm-hmm. 
I think they, when they think of a horror movie, they usually think of like, okay, disposable characters, guy in a hockey mask with a machete is going to show up and chop him up and right. that's going to be it. Yep. So I, I, <clears> I think that it can be a, a different experience for a lot of people to see a horror film that like, oh shit, I actually care about these people and mm-hmm. now the bad stuff is happening. With all the horror movies that you're, you know, you're making and you're working on, does it ever desensitize you to when you watch a horror movie? <laughs> like, can you still get scared? Uh, actually, <laughs> I am a complete scaredy cat watching horror movies. Um, I am covering my eyes and plugging my ears and having a blast that has not gone away um that's actually kind of why i enjoy it i mm-hmm. i like to make movies that would freak me out like like okay so to bring it back to like the movie i showed today rot yeah um rot is very much a body horror film too so like it's about a character who's getting really sick and there's a lot of very gross stuff with like throwing up and hives and rashes and stuff like that okay and, like that's actually all stuff that really deeply freaks me out i mm. can't handle that kind of stuff in real life so channeling that into a horror film was fun because it was like okay how could I make myself as like, if I was watching this from the audience's perspective, you know, it it gives you sort of a clue as you're shooting something into like how to take it to where you want it to go. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it's fun to work with the things that scare you. What challenges do you today? I mean, like, cause I imagine, you know, you're, you seem to be somebody that's always kind of trying to, I don't want to say like find the limit and cross it, but you're always wanting to, I think, push yourself creatively. Yeah. And again, I, I'll give one caveat in that, like my, my goal is never to, well, I shouldn't say never. My goal is never to offend my audience from a standpoint of like, just wanting to put some edgy shit on screen to freak people out. Right. Like, I'm not trying to make like something that's truly offensive or, or horrific, I, I want there to be a point. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is definitely, there are definitely lines that I won't cross or, or rather kind of boundaries and, and principles that I set for myself in my writing. Mm-hmm. What challenges me is finding ways to combine, again, just further melding horror and drama. I, I think I, 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 I want my films to be scary. I want them to be, you know, I, I want people to be watching through their fingers, but also be invested in the story. Yeah. And I think that that's something that can be really hard to do. Because I think sometimes as soon as the horror stuff starts, people just don't really give a shit about the story anymore. Right. Um. So mm-hmm. sort of finding a way to keep the stories exciting and keep them engrossing while also pulling off the stuff that I want to do from a, a scary movie perspective can be challenging. Um. And then also just, I, I always want to do better than I did last time. You know, so every time I make something... I'm already excited about the next thing and how I can do better and how I can keep improving my craft um, from just a filmmaking standpoint. Do you think you would ever explore other genres or maybe like combine genres into it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I actually have. I made a, a like a, just a purely dramatic feature called Roulette Girl, mm-hmm. uh, which was a lot of fun. But again, my it's not so much that I'm averse to the idea, but it just doesn't interest me as much. Sure. Um, and I also um, okay, so like. I want to caveat this with this is not a pushback to the question you just asked. Oh yeah, no, um, you're but fine. like I always find that like you know nobody ever asks somebody that makes dramas. Have you ever considered making a horror film? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like yeah. usually not. I I think that there's there's sort of this stigma with horror that horror is a low art. You know like uh, and why it's, why it's, the stigma? Because it's again people associate it with with slashers and with like just kind of silly fun. Oh well, let's get a bunch of teenagers in a yeah. in a cabin and they're gonna do drugs and have premarital sex and then die. Right. Um. And so I, I want to show that horror can be as 
good and as high quality and as well crafted and well acted and well directed as anything else. Yeah, you know, that, that's actually, you know, thinking about that, because I, I do understand, at least from an indie point of view, like why horror sometimes gets a, a stigma or a type on mm-hmm. it, because sometimes it's cheap to produce, you know, there's effects, so there's, yeah. there's natural jump scares and stuff that you can throw in that don't take a lot of imagination, frankly, to get there. Right. But I am trying to think, like, really back, and maybe you can help me with this, but critically speaking, whether you want to say, like, you know, Academy or Golden Globes mm-hmm. or anything like that, I can't really think of many horror films that get any sort of like real serious accolade in that type it's, of a field. I mean, am I, am I wrong? Rare. No, 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 no. Yeah. You're not wrong at all. It's extremely rare. Um, the Exorcist and Silence of the Lambs are yeah. the two that come to mind. And off the top of my head, those are the only two I could think of. But even like um, Silence of the Lambs, I mean, like I'm not discounting it. It's a, it's a fantastic movie, but I mean, I don't even know if I feel like that to me is like horror. It's like it's deeply I mean, suspenseful yeah, and mystery. I mean, it's, it it, it falls know? under the um, the umbrella, and that's you know, cause yeah. that's, that's another whole. You could do an entire debate episode about what is or what isn't horror. That's true. I tend to fall into the category of if it scares you, it can be a horror movie. Like yeah. maybe something that isn't horror to me is horror to somebody else, and yeah. that's fine. Um, well, what do you think? But, pre- what do you think prevents it from reaching that level? You know, where like people would take it more seriously, or at the very least recognize the skill that I, went into it. I really think there's a stigma. We okay, so like here's here's a good example. A really common word you'll hear a lot right now is elevated horror. Okay. People will refer to movies like The Babadook or Hereditary as okay. elevated horror films. Why are they saying that? Because they're quote unquote better than what you would typically associate a horror film with being. So they're mm. almost making it its own genre. Okay. Like like an A24 film or an elevated horror film, which like by the way, A24 is a distribution company. Like yep. Now they've started making films, but like they didn't make those movies. Um, not that I don't love them for what they distribute. Yeah. But just like to clarify, um, but like elevated horror is is not the best term in my mind because like no it's a horror movie it's just a good film yeah I like, think that's like, just a way of saying like it's better than some others in the yeah, genre yeah it's, it's a way yeah. of it's a way of calling it good while still putting down the genre that it's a part of mm-hmm. so it's like no it's just a good horror movie like yeah. just like there can be good dramas and like there are some terrible dramas and terrible comedies terrible everything out there and nobody says it's an elevated drama or an elevated action film or an elevated comedy it's just horror that we kind of put it in this box Mm -hmm. um and so i think if i have a challenge it is to make movies that are just as scary and horrific as anything anybody else is making but also show that you can do it really really well um and obviously i don't think i've gotten anywhere near there yet i have so many things i still want to do um, but that's, that's the goal. You know, if, if I can just continue to show that you can tell a good story mm-hmm. really well, um, and yeah, it's a horror film, but it's not defined by whether it's, you know, it's not elevated horror. It's just a horror movie. Right. So I'm just trying to think like how, how to kind of push that, you know, push that forward. I mean, like what, how, what, what can you do? Oh God, I don't know. Um, I, I, I certainly am, I'm not the arbiter of, uh, <laughs> of, of the entire horror genre, but like. I don't know if there really is one no, person that does that. There's not. I, I, I do think that actually, kind of bouncing off of that, I, I think just continuing to talk about horror films as movies, not as horror movies. Yeah. Just the same way you talk about anything else. So like. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, we just kind of tend to put horror into a box. And right. by me, I mean like the film community at large, sure. especially the Academy and like the, the mainstream kind of like Hollywood critics, yeah. which I don't think is malicious. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a product of the history of horror as a niche or sort of, um, 
actually, I think niche is the right word. It's sort of a niche genre. It's 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 its own thing, yeah. separate from what everyone else is doing. And there can be good things about that too. Mm-hmm. Some very bold artists have come out of horror that I, I think they can do what they do because you can get away with a lot in a horror film. Right. But I, I do think there's a point where you have to open the door and just be like, hey, this is really good. We mm-hmm. don't have to say it's good for a horror movie. It's just a good film. I am curious, you know, because uh, do, do you know other people that are making horror films? I'm, ass- I'm assuming you probably do. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's tons of people in, in Iowa and in the larger film scene um, that are making horror films, particularly uh, Terrell Christie uh, in Sea mm-hmm. Falls and Waterloo makes some really good horror. Um, Tristan Bennett and the team um, and his team have made some really good thrillers and horror films. Um, lots. Oh, God. I, I, um, I'm too many names in my head right now. Um, but yeah, like there, there are lots of people that are making really, really good. Right. Work. Um, and at a, on a broader scale, certainly, um, nationally and internationally, there's some really good horror being made. Um, I actually just got, um, uh, the tower and then my 48 hour horror film, um, uh, to witness death, just got into Halloween at Palooza. Okay. Um, where, where is that? At? Uh, it's in Atumwa. Okay. Um, and there's 50 films in that festival. So like, you know, that's 50 different horror movies made by people all over the world. Um, so there, there are lots of people doing it, but I, I just think that, I, I think that the broader <clears throat> film community needs to be more willing to accept horror. And I also think that we as horror filmmakers need to be willing to put ourselves out there into the broader film scene. Like there, there are a lot of horror filmmakers that I think really try to stick to like, I'm going to do horror film festivals. I'm going to like, right. I'm, I'm going to, that's, that's going to be my brand. Those are the people I'm most comfortable. They with. know the demographic. They yeah. know the, the broad reaching scope of it on that, on yeah. that specific side of it. And I love yeah. that stuff too. Don't get me wrong. But I, I think that we have to approach it from an, uh, you know, we are serious filmmakers. We we're, yeah. we are, trying to further the craft and further our personal art as much as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure, okay. I feel like I'm making it sound like horror filmmakers are like oppressed. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying that by any stretch of the imagination. No, just, just that I, I think that we, in order for horror to be taken more seriously at the professional level, it has to start at the indie level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we just have to start treating horror like any other genre. Like, mm-hmm. I also think like, like one thing that I thought was really cool today was that Rot was in a block um, with just other movies that weren't horror films. Sure. And like, don't get me wrong, I love horror blocks. Like at Snake Alley, we were in the late night block, and that was awesome. Right. But I also think like throw horror movies in with everything else in film mm-hmm. festivals, and just like they don't, it doesn't always need to be its own niche thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that sort of shows that like again, this is just another genre. It's just another craft of filmmaking, no different than anything else. Do you do you get a lot of questions? Um, you know, after your screenings that you've been to and whatnot <laughs> from people. Oh yeah, I mean like. Um, Yes, and I mean, I, I, I'm newer to the, the scene, especially the, the, you know, I've only been doing film festivals now for about three or four years. That's longer than me. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. But like, um, and I think, like, like today, uh, Charlie, um, the, I think he's still the president of the, the film festival yes, board. Yes, he is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, he asked a really good question about Rot, which was just like, when we're filming these really, really intense scenes, do we need to, like, take breaks? Which, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I get a lot of questions. Um, typically, things like that of just like, you know, how do we handle filming really intense content? Uh, which the answer is, you know, it's, it's all make-believe. Like, at the right. end of the day, we it's all take the fake blood off and go home. Um, and we also do a lot of prep work ahead of time. Like, mm-hmm. especially if it's dealing with something that's really violent or disturbing, we'll do a lot of prep work um, in rehearsals. We'll talk through it. We'll bring in intimacy coordinators if we need to. Yeah. Um, particularly, I really like working with Stephanie Schneider. Shout out Stephanie. She's amazing. 
Um, but who, like, who, who's, who's that? Uh, she is an intimacy coordinator I worked with um, on my movie Roulette Girl, and <laughs> she's also the intimacy coordinator for The Salvages, the movie that I'm making next. I um, imagine, you know, if, if we can go down that road for a little bit, just talking about the intimacy, uh, excuse me, intimacy yeah. coordinator stuff, um, that's actually a really interesting subject to me. It's not something I really get into that much. Not that it's taboo or anything like no. that, but I, I think a lot of people probably actually have a hard time discussing um, it. So, like, okay. But it's, like, a, it's very important. Yeah, and, like, okay, like, to kind of dip into something else else like another thing i've gotten questions about is like i'm i i have found i am less afraid of putting nudity or sexual content into films than a a lot of other indie filmmakers and i think again it's because it's hard to do that in a way that is safe um and i think the way to do that in a way that is safe is working with an intimacy coordinator you know if Mm -hmm. you're doing a fight scene in a movie where you have people fighting with fake swords right typically you're not just going to put swords in people's hands and just be like okay go at it like people do that you shouldn't yeah (laughs) but it's not safe and so filming an intimacy scene is no different than filming a fight scene mm-hmm. or filming uh, a stunt scene. You should have somebody on set who is an expert who can talk to the actors and work with them in a way that has an even-handed power dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that nobody's doing anything they're not comfortable with and everyone knows going in what you're going to be doing. Can you be specific a little bit about like how, like what the intimacy coordinator does? I mean, it yeah, sounds like obviously like a lot of advisement and kind of guidance record, you, on you it. You should absolutely talk to Stephanie about this because yeah, I, no, I am I just, going It's to, really interesting. Um, I'm going to butcher her, her craft which puts a lot of work into but there's um typically they they meet with the actors they have a long discussion with them about what they're comfortable with and not comfortable with whether yeah. from nudity or from a standpoint of just like what's being acted out in the scene mm-hmm. anything like that and then uh they'll talk to the director and say okay this is what they've said and then from that point it's the director's responsibility to work around that like this, this isn't a debate this is what they are or are not comfortable with okay which again i think is completely fair you wouldn't expect somebody who had never uh, you know, again, done some crazy stunt before, never jumped off a 50 foot building to be like, okay, you're going to do this in this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, you meet in the middle between what the director is looking for and what the actors are okay with. And the yeah. way you do that is with an intimacy coordinator. Sure. Um, so from that point, once it's been established what the scene is going to entail, um, the intimacy coordinator will typically choreograph the scene with the actors. Again, okay. no different than choreographing a fight scene or anything else. Sure. So everything is pre-planned before cameras roll. You're not making it up on the go. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it just makes sense. It's I think it's the most it's the most ethical way of doing things. It's the most professional way of doing things. Yeah. It's the best way to ensure that nobody gets hurt emotionally or physically. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that everyone can feel proud of what eventually does end up on screen. I think sometimes, like, you know, when people look at nudity in films, and I'm not talking strictly horror on this one, just kind of more broadly on it, but mm-hmm. I think sometimes nudity on camera, people, you know, they become so desensitized to it because they see it in a lot of different places. And I think they kind of forget sometimes yeah. the, the risk that a person puts themselves yeah. through to do that. It's an incredibly vulnerable position Absolutely. Uh, and to I, be I, in. And I do think, I mean, there is, we all know, there's a long history of exploitation and really negative yeah. connotations with this in, in Hollywood and in film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, there are real people behind all that stuff. And that's something that I also have to keep in mind as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I'm when I'm writing a script, when I'm shooting, when I'm casting, there always has to be a consideration of like everything that is in this script, I'm going to have to have two people act out in a scene. Mm-hmm. And that's not just for intimacy. That's for violent scenes. That's for intense, like verbal arguments, like especially Rot um, has a lot of really intense, like interpersonal just arguments in it and that's something that we really had to do with care mm-hmm. when we were shooting that because even that kind of stuff can be really intense to shoot yeah I, I do think um sometimes people think like 
it's, you know, oh, you're, you're just pretending to yell at each other. And, like, mm. to an extent, that's true. But also, you get into it. You know, when you're acting, especially, you're in that character's head. You're, yeah. you're, <clears throat> you have to sort of take yourself there at least a little bit safely. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be care going into that of, like, we're going to shoot something that's really intense. Let's make sure everybody knows what they're doing. Let's make sure we've all talked about this so that nothing happens that is a surprise yeah. or that's going to negatively affect somebody later. Yeah, I think, you know, when you get to those heavy emotional places, whether it is like a, you know, screaming or crying or something like that, I mean, yes, people don't, you know, people that are watching, they're like, okay, yeah, it's acting. Maybe really yeah. good acting, of course. Yeah. But I still imagine, and, and I haven't talked to many actors or actresses that have, or just actors, I should just say actors, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that go through uh, the emotional scenes, but it's like, you, you are still a, a human. The reason it's so convincing yeah. is because, like, those tears or, like, the face getting red, like, that's the person really pushing themselves there. Yeah. And I, I think some of this has been sort of warped by the perspective of like, like we hear a lot about like method acting, right? Like actors yeah, that will like yeah. completely take them to like, and it's not even that, like, yeah. you know, even if you're not method, it's still, you're still having to take yourself to a place. You're still having to, sure. you know, even feigning emotion can be incredibly exhausting. Yeah. Um, and you like, have to feel it deeply yeah. in the scene. Well, or even just physically, like, you know, if you're mm-hmm. doing a scene where you're screaming and crying and throwing up on the bathroom floor, which, happens more often than you think in my films. Right. Like that's just a physically exhausting thing to shoot. Right. Um, and so like there, there just has to be, you have to, you have to take that into account when you're making a film. Right. Um, and I, I do really try to emphasize, like I always try to plan to film something an hour or two longer than I think we're going to need, because sometimes you need to take breaks. You need to slow down. You need to rework something because you thought it would be okay to do it one way. And then it's not working. So you have to try something different. Mm -hmm. And the more empathy you can have as a filmmaker for the people that are actually going to be acting the scene out, the better the outcome is going to be because I, I really push back on the idea of like the intense auteur filmmakers. Like, like, okay. Like I love Kubrick movies, but like, I don't go into a movie thinking everything that I wrote has to happen exactly the way that it's written and there's no right, flexibility. Like, right. You're going to make something, in my opinion, better if everyone feels safe and comfortable while they're making it. Yeah. If you make everyone uncomfortable and you make people do things that they don't necessarily feel comfortable doing because it's in the script, mm-hmm. you might end up with a performance that isn't as natural or as good as you would if you just said, you know what, let's figure out what we can do here. And oftentimes, when you take those moments and you take that time, even if at the time it's frustrating to have to stop for a minute and talk things through, you're going to ultimately end up with something that's stronger because everybody involved from the person holding the camera to the person directing or the same person um, or and to the actors on screen, everyone is on the same page. Yeah. And that's something that I really try to make a, a strong attempt at on my sets i mean i think that's pretty commendable on there uh just because i i mean to me film at its at its highest form is a collaborative medium Mm -hmm. um you know i I want people to be able to interject ideas um you know have a different take on a scene than other than what's written on the page sometimes you know beautiful moments happen from that that you least expect oh my gosh they're like okay one of my favorite moments in rot i don't want to ruin anything too much but like where can people watch this by the way uh, nowhere yet it's not online yet yet. okay Um, i was gonna say like if i could put it in the link um, or something it's still in consideration for a couple of festivals. Okay. Um, but eventually it'll be on my Vimeo, um, which I'll give you all the links for all yeah, that Yeah, 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 um, definitely. But um, yeah, like, you know, there, there's a great moment in Rot after this really intense argument scene where, where my friend Linnea, who plays Eden, did this throwaway line that wasn't in the script, but it's so, it's so cutting. It's such a brilliant little tag to the end of the <laughs> scene. And it's like, I didn't make that up. They made that up. Mm-hmm. So like, the, I really do advocate for like, 
yeah, I'm proud of my writing and I'm proud of my direction, but I'm also extremely proud of the people that I get to work with that trust me enough to put themselves out there for these films and who bring their talents to it because without them, this doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my scripts or my direction or my, my filmography can be great. If I don't have anyone to work with, or if I have actors who don't trust me, you're going to get a subpar product regardless. I just, ugh, product, but like <laughs> a subpar finished film, no matter what. Yeah. So more than anything, I want it to be fun. I want it to be safe. You know, uh, like uh, a joke that I have made a couple of times with friends that I shoot with is like fun to make, not fun to watch. So like, it's something like Rod, you know, we're all friends. We had a great time making that, even though the actual movie is super depressing. Yeah. Um, it, we had a good time on set because we were all safe and we all knew what we were getting into. Mm-hmm. So. You know, something else I wanted to ask you about, and, and, and if you don't want to talk about it, that's, that's yeah. totally fine. Um, I'm just curious. Um, you know, I hear in a lot of different um, genres in film, you know, there's not always a, there's misrepresentation or not proper mm-hmm. representation, things like that. In the horror genre specifically, do you think there's, good representation there is there Ooh. room to grow there oh, or what's a good question yeah it's a tough question so like i'm i am a transgender person yeah. um and so i i do think that sometimes like people might assume i have an outsized opinion on trans representation in horror and i do to an extent well, representation um, but, can, can mean a lot of things outside of just sexual orientation too yeah well um, but to me it's it's more about like okay but what can we do going forward like we can sit here and argue all day whether Silence of the Lambs is a terrible movie or not because of Buffalo Bill. I have very strong mixed feelings about it because it's one of my favorite films. It's also sometimes a tough movie to watch for me. It is. um, Because it's like, oh God. Um, But, you know, like, to me, my favorite kind of representation is representation where it's not about the fact that the characters are trans or the characters are gay or the characters are anything. Mm -hmm. They are just people who live in a world and are living their lives. Yeah. So like um yeah, um in Rot it's the it's depicting a marriage between two people who are queer and mm-hmm. the, the the fact that they are a same gender or at least like gender non-conforming relationship is never addressed in the film once. Right. And like I'm not trying to make some big grand statement by doing that but rather it's it's just that it is normalizing in so much as like this is a situation that can happen to anybody it doesn't matter if it's a cisgender couple or a same-sex couple or a trans couple it's like these are just human beings going through regular human being problems um and so like to me that's the representation i lean the most toward in my films because like i tend to write a situation and put characters into it that's sort of my approach Mm -hmm. um and so i like to write uh queer characters because I am an LGBT person. So that's the perspective I like to write from. Right. But I don't like to make that what my stories are about. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more about just the representation being very there. And we all probably noticed it, especially if it's something that we really wanted to notice, but now we're moving on. Right. Um, And because to me, that's how life is. You know, I I don't spend every moment of every day thinking about the fact that I'm trans. It's other, only when other people point it out to me or mm-hmm. like when it's something that becomes relevant to a situation. But I think in movies, yeah. especially even in some really well-meaning or even really good films, mm-hmm. so much attention is drawn to the fact that this character is LGBT and that's their character trait. Yeah. And that's what I'm really trying to avoid is like, I'm just trying to write LGBT characters that are going through whatever the situation was going to be when I came up with this concept for right. any character. Um, and... 
that's that is the the lane that I'm trying to. Well, it probably I would imagine it helps Carson just you know being a trans woman and mm-hmm. you know being around. I'm assuming a community. I'm assuming you know other people. Yeah, I mean, that I, I, are I also... do. I I, this, I I say this you know in in a joking tone, but it's really not a joke. The reason I started yeah. writing so many LGBT characters is just that my friends and the people that I work with tend to also be in the community. Sure. And I didn't want to make them play straight. It's like why why bother? Why not just write the characters? Yeah. It, it only really occurred to me a little bit later when my films started to get those kinds of questions. It's like, oh, this is something that people are going to notice and think. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I asked, I was at a film festival the other day and somebody asked about Rot mm-hmm. and, and asked if I was trying to make some kind of statement by having them be a same-sex uh, couple that falls apart. Right. I was like, and for the record, I'm not dissing the person who asked that question. Right, they asked ask the question. Yeah. But, you know, but it's like, <clears throat> no, but... Uh, like nowadays, I guess it occurs to me more that that's something people are going to think. When I first started making movies, um, that really wasn't something that crossed my mind. Um, and now it's become more of a thing of like, the whole point is that that's not the case. The point is that nothing that happened to those characters happened to them because they're LGBT. Right. Um, and that's something that, that is a trope, especially early on in the horror genre. Like, it was a case, <clears throat> and I, I don't remember exactly what you're like what year to what year it was that this was the case. But like, there was a while where if you wrote a same sex couple in a movie, it was expected that they would die at the end or that something bad would happen to them and they would break up because that was morally wrong. And like, like okay. that was an actual part of, I think it was the Hayes code. I don't remember what it's called. There was a code or a kind of a right. unwritten set of rules in Hollywood that that was what was supposed to happen. And that's literally where the trope <clears throat> of LGBT people dying or having bad things happen to them in movies comes from. It was a manufactured yeah. thing. And so now it's like, yes, I make movies that have LGBT characters in them. And yes, bad things happen to them in those movies often because I make horror movies. Right. But not because the characters are LGBT. Um, more so just because I'm trying to highlight actors who are LGBT without having that be the cornerstone of the character that they're in. Now, if you ever get questions about, you know, what, you know, a perceived statement or something like mm-hmm. that, is, is this coming from, uh, you know, a person that perceives themselves as straight? Is it coming from people that are in the community? I've done or, both. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that more often, it, it, you know, especially now, like, I'm, sure. you know, I'm openly transgender. I'm, I'm sort of part of the community. So I, these are more just conversations I might have with friends. Yeah, yeah. But like at film festivals, I, I think it's more, it tends to be, I don't know. Actually, the more I think about it, I guess I, I shouldn't necessarily make a judgment on that because i don't really know right um but i i think that it tends to come more from a perspective of people who are are, are trying to learn or trying to understand rather than people who are yeah. necessarily part of the community and who um are, are looking into my motives that tends to be a question i might get asked privately more than publicly sure yeah of um, course especially earlier on than now mm-hmm. um but I don't know. It sort of depends on the festival. It depends on the people. Yeah. Um, I've had really interesting conversations <clears throat> with straight and cis people and with LGBT people mm-hmm. about the representation in my films. I, I think that it just depends. You know, I, I think for, you know, for myself, Carson, like I don't know many people that are in the trans community, mm-hmm. the LGBTQ community. I, I've certainly met people that are a part of it and it's fine. Um, you know, as a, as a straight man myself, uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes I, I have a moment of pause, you know, where I'm just like, okay, I don't quite know if I, you know, need to, you know, uh, phrase, you know, a person's pronouns differently or anything like that. It's, it's something that can right. happen. Um, I certainly think if I ever did ask questions about it, it's more from a perspective of just, I want to be able to understand. And as you said, and I'm glad you did bring this up earlier about just normalizing this whole thing. Yeah, like, Cause so to, to me, me, like, like if you had a, a film that has, yeah. you know, trans people or, or someone that's queer, as you said, 
I mean, I may notice it just because it's there and I see it. But then, like you said, after that, it should just be, okay, dismissed. And now, they're, yeah, you yeah. know, so it's like, like my, you know, I, I think my, my dream world and a lot of people's dream world would just yeah. be a world where like somebody can say, you know, oh, this is Carson. He's a filmmaker. I can go, actually, she. And they go, oh, never mind. This is Carson. She's a filmmaker. And that's the extent of the conversation, mm-hmm. you know, and we don't live in that world. We live in a world that is very much the opposite of that, especially right now. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's, it's, it's not, there, there's this perception, I think, especially that LGBT people, that trans people, especially right now with trans people, that we're indoctrinating people or we want to make people trans, which you cannot make someone transgender. Yeah. Um, but, and I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't want to go too far down no, this road right now. It's perfectly I talk fine. About movies, but like, you're good. You know, but there is this thing of just like, it's also okay to just say someone is, you know, to, to be corrected on somebody's pronouns and go, oh, okay, and then move on. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be anything more than that. And that is really what I would hope, you know, certainly I'm not going to bring anyone to that point by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that that would be if I were to put anything out there into the world of just, like, how I would want people to address me or any of my friends or colleagues who are trans. It's like, just don't make a big thing out of it. Yeah. It, it doesn't kill you to just use the pronoun somebody asks you to use. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's where I'm at with that. <laughs> I, you know, I, I can say this. I'll, I'll say this, and then and then we can move on from the subject. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to do that. But, you know, I I know uh, people that are, you know, of different race and stuff like that. Uh, you know, my, my wife is Brazilian and whatnot. So, you know, she comes from a different country and, and stuff like that. And I really actually try to just make a conscious effort that if I ever, like, tell stories that involve other people, let's say. Because we all do it when we're out mm-hmm. with friends and stuff like that. I never, like, make it a point to be like, oh, I'm out with my friend who's black. Or, mm-hmm. like, I do anything like that. I'm yeah. like, I just say the I... name. And, like, if it for some reason were to add to like the story for some reason or it should be put in maybe but it's like like, why do i need to put a label on i don't need to you know i I certainly don't equate the struggles of like my particular struggles with the struggles people associate with racism like certainly there are tie-ins like for instance black trans people have it much harder than white trans people do yeah that's how the world is um and that's something that needs to be talked about but like i also don't want to equate the two because obviously racism and and transphobia or homophobia are are different and tied together in very complex ways mm-hmm. um, that I could go into. But again, that's another podcast and another conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, I got um, you. But, you know, I, I just think that people are people. People have traits. And it doesn't, you know, equity is the goal. The goal is yeah. to just be able to live in a world where we don't have to constantly explain or justify our existence. Like, you know, I, yeah. I make movies as a transgender filmmaker I make movies <clears throat> featuring um, LGBT people and often about LGBT people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to make some grand statement. I'm just no. writing from my perspective and within my community. And I, um, I, I do appreciate you, like, talking about it a little bit. And, and I also know it's not something I would want to talk about at great length because mm-hmm. I, I imagine, Carson, from your perspective on this, and there's probably plenty of people in the community that feel this way. I'm sure after a while it gets exhausting. Extraordinary. To, like I'm just yes. I'm just saying I'm like I can feel that it's like oh Jesus here we go again. Well, we're, and we're, you know, you know I mean, this is to, we're on the subject, you know, you yeah. never know what you're going to say that somebody who does not like people like me is going to listen to and go, "Oh, I yeah. can't believe she said that." Or I guess right. so it's like we we 
you would think this would be something that would be safe to talk about and have a discussion about, but it isn't always. Yeah, um, it, that, that makes am, me very sad. No, it, it, you know, I am privileged to be in the position that I am in and to be a person. You know, I'm, I'm in a community of filmmakers where my yeah. work is known and respected, and that does give me a certain amount of privilege, and that's sort of why I also think it's important for me to talk yeah. about these sort of things. Um, and so... I don't know. That's sort of all I want to say on that subject, but it's it's, it's a complicated subject. So. Yeah, it, it definitely is multifaceted and has a lot of different complexities to it. Mm. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I think I can say this just about uh, movies more broadly speaking. On this, that's I think one of the reasons that movies speak to me so loudly is they can communicate uh, different things that are going on in society, whether it be serious or mm -hmm. whether it just makes me think. And I don't know, other different forms of art. I mean, they certainly do that in different ways, but movies have a way of connecting people in ways that I don't really see in a lot of yeah. different arts. And that's ultimately what I like to focus the you know focus on as far as like people coming together on and this, this is sort of another thing. as a way to sort of bring this back to horror and broaden the scope a bit yeah there is a strong very strong history of horror and social movements and social justice like there is a, a very strong tie-in like uh, like a lot of people don't realize that like Texas Chainsaw Massacre was very much an anti-Vietnam film. Well, like, okay. like, now like, it's like, been like, a minute since I've seen yeah, that, no, but no, you no, want to explain like, that? Like it, it was a, it was a commentary on the, the violence of like literally putting people into the meat grinder. Like, like there, there's a very strong history and like, granted, you know that more if you know more about like Toby Hooper as a person, but like mm -hmm. there's a strong history um, of horror and horror filmmakers being tied to social justice movements. Um, like people like John Carpenter, Wes Craven, Toby Hooper were all very big activists, very outspoken activists in their time right. for working class issues, for race issues, for LGBT issues. Um, and so like, I think that's another reason why you'll find a lot of people in various minority groups kind of flocking to horror because mm. there just is this history of horror being used to tell stories from an allegorical perspective about people who might be underrepresented or underprivileged. Could you um, explain the allegorical thing a little bit? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, okay, here's a, a go-to. Um, have you seen oh, uh, They Live by John Carpenter? Um, no, but I feel like that's the one with the I the kick ass and chew bubblegum, yeah, 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 yeah. that, that one? Yeah, okay. like, that's a huge, uh, the, 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 the whole movie's an allegory for, like, capitalism and consumerism. Or George Romero's zombie movies are a, okay. were, were an allegory for consumerism at the time and sort of that, that culture. Um, and this is, uh, this is, people have written theses on this, but um, like, yeah, I'm sure. you know, like there's, um, so there certainly are horror films that are designed either explicitly or implicitly, uh, to various extents to be allegories for things that are going on in the real world. To me, I tend to deal more with interpersonal issues or like, like person to person, uh, like, you know, Rot is a relationship movie, for instance. So like, I, I wouldn't say I delve too heavily into that side of things, um, just because Again, my movies tend to take a slightly smaller scope. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, who knows? Maybe I'm missing the, the messages in my own films. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I do think that in a broader context, um, there is a very strong tie between horror and social justice. And that might be another reason why it's always been kind of boundary pushing. There's a lot of times a good horror movie might make people uncomfortable for reasons they don't quite even fully get. Yeah. But there's just something about it. It's like, I don't know. This made me feel a certain way. And that's a brilliant thing that film, yeah. any art really, can do, is you can tell a story that on the surface is one thing, but also has layers to it that might get to people uh, in a way that makes them think or makes them realize, like, hey, you know, I've never thought about it that way, or mm -hmm. I've never felt driven to root for a character that 
looks like that or that believes that or that acts like that. And now I found myself doing that. And why is that? So kind of what I'm hearing from you is that you're saying that in certain cases, certain films, there is almost a, uh, maybe I'm not phrasing this right, a a healthy level of discomfort that it's it's okay to go through. I am a huge proponent of uh, art should, oh God, I'm going to butcher this quote, comfort (laughs) the uncomfortable or, uh, and uh, disturb the comfortable. God, I don't know the exact quote, but basically Good art should challenge the norms mm-hmm. uh, and should elevate the stories of people who are oppressed. Yeah. Not always. That You can make art that isn't allegorical, and that's fine. But if you're trying to do that, you can do it really, really well. And horror has a really strong history of that. Like, and I, I literally joked with a friend of mine just the other day of, like, I definitely fall into the uh, make the comfortable, uncomfortable category. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that that's just my thing. Well, I think, like, by being uncomfortable on there, I mean, certain emotions will lead your thought process to down certain roads. Yeah. Right? And the feeling of discomfort specific to horror is a very specific kind of emotion that outside of the horror genre, I, I mean, I'm sure you could find it in different slices in real life yeah well and but, it, a, but it's a unique feeling there's a catharsis to horror mm-hmm. um you know there's a feeling of like well there's a lot of shitty stuff happening in my life but i can watch a horror movie and be scared and watch all these crazy things happen to these people in this movie and that takes me out of my real world problems for a minute sure or maybe it helps me process my real world problems in a way of you know making it into the literal boogeyman mm. um and so th- th- there's you know there's a whole very complicated history of psychology and social justice and horror and why we enjoy scary stories, Yeah, you know, from them being a way to teach lessons to them being a way to preach to them being just a way to have fun. Um, and I think a lot of the best horror films sort of fall into all three categories yeah. in various ways. Do you so. ever have any, um, like, you know, favorite, uh, techniques where, cause you know, I, the jump scare is something I hear a lot in yeah. horror and whatnot where I can get, it gets used. But are there, are there things where like, if you see it in a movie and you're just like, you know what, like that's one where if you put that in any movie, it can, it can have an effect on somebody. You know, to, to, to bring this kind of background to like the, the A24 yeah. horror films and, and all that, like. Some of my favorite startling moments or effective moments in horror films is when you can pull off almost like a jump scare without it being a proper, like no, no music stinger, yeah. no dramatic. Like if you can mm-hmm. just cut from one thing to another mm-hmm. thing completely unexpectedly and jar the audience that way and in a way that they're not going to see, like without broadcasting it, I think yeah. that's brilliant. Like if you've seen the movie Hereditary, uh, yes. uh, the yeah. cut to Charlie's severed head on the side <laughs> of the road is yeah. brilliant brilliant because you don't see it coming Mm -hmm. um but it's not a jump scare it's just it's just a cut it's just a simple cut from one thing to another thing Mm -hmm. um and it's not broadcasted you don't see and it's not telegraphed in a way that feels cheap Mm -hmm. um so i I guess if there's a way that i would try to do scares it's it's more that way but i also really like horror movies that don't have any startling moments any Mm. jump scares at all and can still get under your skin yeah that's something i i think i personally really strive for i know what gets me and uh i I mean, I've seen it. It's a, it's a very minor thing. I, if there's a technical term for it, go ahead and feel free to pop it in there. Mm-hmm. But anytime I see in a movie where there's the medicine cabinet thing, where like someone's opens the medicine cabinet, they look for stuff, they close it. There's a thing uh, that's, that's, behind there them. There is indeed a trope. It's called a mirror jump scare. Yes. Yes, that is a, the, a very common. That uh, one gets good. me every time. But the one that actually stands out to me where I, I've yet, I've never seen a movie do it quite like this. And I don't know if you've seen this movie because it, it's very old. Mm-hmm. Um, the Changeling, the George C. Scott movie from like the 70s. Oh, I am familiar with it, but I have not seen it. So I'll set up the scene for you here just so you can kind of like wrap your head around mm-hmm. it. So it kind of is, you know, this guy's in his home and, 
you know, there's a little boy that's haunting the house, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of the whole premise is he's trying to get to the bottom of why this boy is haunting the house. Mm-hmm. And anyways, there's, it's, I'm going to botch this, but people that have seen this will understand. So there's a cop that's been kind of investigating sort of a subplot thing, and he's like on his way to the house, and they kind of are cutting back between the guy in the house, the cop on the road going to the house, right? Mm-hmm. And then somehow, you know, the character's in the bathroom and he's going through the medicine cabinet thing and then he closes it. And then what they do is they superimpose the, the cop's like face, like being like smashed through the car windshield. And they like, it kind of, it's like there's the mirror and then all of a sudden it's cracked. His face just like literally jumps in there. Okay. I don't know how they did it, but then what they were showing is that Joseph, the boy haunting the house somehow made this police officer crash his car and like wanted the guy that he's haunting to see this person die. Yeah, so it's almost like like a creative way of doing a flashback basically. It was really weird. And and, and if I'm not explaining that scene right, I mean, just try to look it up. I'm I'm sure you can find it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then if it makes you feel better also, there have been multiple times throughout this conversation where I've been describing things and I've just been thinking in the back of my head like oh god people that know what they're talking about are screaming at me right now because I'm, I'm i'm explaining this wrong no but no like, you know to, to me at the end of the day I, I think a way to kind of sum up everything i've said about horror is yeah that horror is also deeply personal what scares you might not be what scares me what i consider sure. a good horror film is probably not what other people might consider well, it's just a good like com- it's just like comedy yeah, super yeah. subjective yeah and that's why like you know i don't profess to say like oh i make elevated horror films because who knows i'm sure there are plenty no. of people that think the kind of movies i make are shit and i'm sure there are plenty of people that think that it's elevated and everything in between yeah and to me the, that's another fun thing about horror is it is so personal mm-hmm. and I, I think that's also why it is so broad and hard to define because horror can be so many different things yeah. to so many different people, just like comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so they're, they're, that, that's the main thing. It, it's hard to describe something, put it into proper terms when it is nebulous. Last couple questions here, because I don't mm-hmm. know how much you want to <laughs> sit and chat with me. I'm having a good time. But uh, I'm curious... What are the films that you've enjoyed seeing so far at this festival? Oh, God. I, I have only seen one block. I just saw the okay. block that I was in. Yep. Um, I, uh, so, okay, the one one funny anecdote that uh, my my girlfriend Rose and I were, were talking about, uh, there was a French film that showed that did not have subtitles. Uh, yep, and I, 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 was, of, I was there for that. No, it's yeah. okay. And there were a lot of murmurs <laughs> about why there weren't subtitles. Was that we intentional? Both, I, well, that's actually, we, we were talking about the fact that we kind of yeah. enjoyed that because it was almost like, very, it made it very interpretive and that was just a cool experience. Yeah. Um, I have to give a shout out uh, to uh, the folks that made Meeting Michael because there's some really talented people that I know that were behind that. I've seen um, a couple of yeah. them in other shorts presented at this festival yeah. as well. Uh, there was a really, really funny comedy piece um, about internet, uh, about uh, like computer login passwords. Uh, password problems. Um, and again, I've said yeah. <laughs> I don't really usually like comedy that much and that one made me laugh a lot. Yeah. Uh, it was very, very funny, very good escalation humor. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, beautiful documentaries, uh, the couple of them that were really honestly i don't know there it was a very varied block uh there was mm-hmm. comedy that made me laugh there was drama that really moved me there were some brilliant yeah. documentaries um but I'm, I'm excited to see more yeah. i was gonna say what what are your plans after this like after you're done uh, with me lunch yeah and then uh getting ready for the award ceremony a little bit and then watching some more some more films so. awesome awesome yeah well i'm glad that i'm just i'm happy to be able to finally actually talk with you before yeah, i know I, I know we had meant to, to do it before in, in the future too outside of a film festival because there's a lot uh, yeah. you know that i think within the horror genre that is just 
it's just fun to sit and talk about horror movies, man. That's not that I don't, I, I and I don't have, I don't yeah, have a, like, pl- I don't have a ton of people in my circle that really can talk horror. So I will, helps. I will bring them your way. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, as far as I guess I should talk about like where people can find me. Yeah, where can people um, find you? Matriarch yourself, Films, yeah. uh, Matriarch Films, Iowa on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, just Matriarch Films on Vimeo, um, and I'll send you all the links to that stuff so you can like post it with the episode too. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, if you can track me down on social media, feel free to find request me. I won't, I, I won't make it too easy, but like that's fine, <laughs> um, especially if you're in the film community. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty out there. I admit I don't post nearly as often as I should, but I, I do. It's kind of it's kind of healthy though to yeah, have well, a have a healthy distance from that all. And I'm so bad about putting my films on Vimeo. I need to upload like three or four different pieces to Vimeo that uh, that I haven't put up there yet. But like eventually, the Tower and Rot mm-hmm. will both be up there. I've got some some older works in the past couple of years. I'm going to put up there soon. I'm going to try to get more on top of it. Sure. Um, but you know, life. What are some um, of the, some What are some of the things you got coming up? Um, I am going to be filming a movie in November called The Salvages. It's one that I've been working on for about a year. I'm really excited about it. It takes place in the same world as The Tower. Oh, um, okay. Are you, uh, are you building a universe there? Oh, God. I don't want to say. It's not, it's not a cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah. It takes place within the same story in my head. There are two completely disconnected films okay. uh, taking place during the same fictional apocalypse that I've kind of come up with. So if someone were to watch both films, they'd go, oh, yeah, right. that's the same thing. They'll, but like, they'll I'm know. not intending for it to be like a series. So they can still watch it on their own and they'll yeah, be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but basically it's a movie uh, about these two uh, women uh, at this sort of like alternative theocratic uh, prison at the end of the world uh, who fall in love and take brutal revenge on an uh, a abusive person who is running the prison. Oh, geez. Um, wow. So it's got some cosmic horror elements. It's got some revenge film elements. It's got a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. Really, really strong talent um, in front of the camera that I'm excited to uh, feature. New people you're um, working with? Um, one recognizable person, uh, Jenna Grieve, who was uh, in The Tower, is playing the main character, Judith. Oh, the whole thing is based on the biblical story of Judith also. If oh, anyone's okay. familiar with that. Um, and then uh, a good friend of mine, Joe Frenna, who was in Roulette Girl, is playing the villain. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. And then we're actually working on casting uh, the last role, which is Judith's partner, Abra. By the time this comes out, I will probably already have it cast. So I don't want to do a casting call out here. But <laughs> if I haven't right. cast yet and you want to be in one of my movies, please contact me. Um, but no, we should have that cast in the next couple of days. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something I'm really excited about. It's a it's sort of a project that feels like the culmination of what I've been building on for the last couple of years as far as, again, yeah. blending that kind of horror and drama element. Feature length, short film? Uh, or? Short feature or long mid-length? I'm not really okay. sure yet. Um, I'm I'm estimating it'll be around an hour, um, but depending on how I end up editing it, it could be more of a mid-length. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I don't know for sure is because there's a lot of kind of stage direction-y stuff in the script that I'm not 100% sure how it'll all pan out. Um, also, again, because of the way that I shoot, a lot of things tend to happen on the fly that change things. Yeah. Up. Um, so I'm I am guesstimating anywhere from 45 to 60 minutes on this one. Okay. Well, hey, I'm I'm really happy that you finally sat down. We Absolutely, talked and yeah. whatnot. Um, again, I'll definitely be contacting you in the future. I'll let you know when this episode drops, everything like Wonderful. that. Um, may have to have you back on to talk about cosmic horror because you mentioned that a couple oh of times, God. and like there's there's questions I have. On cosmic that. horror <laughs> is my favorite like broad subgenre. So please, anytime, I love love cosmic horror. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm gonna turn this off here, but Perfect. and I, I also, I mean, not that anyone can see this. I'm sorry about these flies. Yeah, they, they're they buzzing around. I promise I'm um, not like in a nasty moldy it's place. Okay. It's, it's a bad <laughs> omen. I bring them with me. It's fine. Um, but no, this was great. Thank you for having me.